Treasure Island by Robert Lear Stevenson Part 2 The Sea Cook Chapter nine, ten, The Voyage All that night we were a great bustle getting things stored in a place but foes of the squire's friends Mr. Blandy and likes getting off to wish him a good voyage and safe return. We never had a work night Ben. When I had half the work, I was dog tired when, a little before dawn, the bones first swing, sounded a pipe and the crew began to man the crest bins bars. I might have been twice as weary yet, I would not have left the deck. All was so new and interesting to me, brief commands, a shrill note of the whistle, men bustling to their places, and a glimmer of the ship's lanterns. Now bother you up with the stave, said one voice. That old one, cried another. Oi, oi, mates, said Long John, who was standing up by with his crutch on his arm, and once broke out in the air, and was, I knew so well, fifteen men on a dead man's chest. Yeah, no, an old crew ball chorus. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. And the third old drove the bar before them with a wheel. Even at a sudden moment, it carried me back to the old Abrabel Ben. Oh, the sound I seemed to hear the voice of Captain Piping up in the chorus. As soon the anchor was stalked up, soon it was hanging dripping in the bows, soon the sail began to draw, and the hand is shipping to flit on either side. Before I could lay down to snatch an hour of slumber, the pony had begun the voyage to the island of treasure. I'm not going to relate the voyage in detail. It was rather preposterous. Ship proved to be a good ship. Crew were capable seamen. The captain thoroughly understood his business. Therefore, we came to length for Treasure Island. Two or three things happened which required to be known. Mr. Aaron was all turned out even worse than the captain feared. He had no command among the men, and people did not did not want they did what they what they pleased with him. But there was no means of worse of it. After a day or two, the sea began to appear on deck. Hazy eye, red cheeks. Stogering tongue and other, other marks of drunkenness. Time and time he was ordered to get below in disgrace. Time he fell and cut himself. Sometimes he lay all day long, his little bunk at uh, one side of the companion. Sometimes for a day or two, he'd almost, he almost sobered till he'd work at least passively, possibly. In the meantime, he could never make out whether he got a, where he got a drink. It was a ship's mystery. Watch him as he pleased. He could do nothing to solve it. When he's asked to put his face, he'd only laugh. He were drunk. He was sober, denied solemnly. He had ever tasted anything but water. He was not, an, he was not only useless as an officer, bad influence among men, but he's a plane at his rate. He soon killed himself outright, so nobody was much surprised. We were very sorry that one dark night, the head sea disappeared entirely. He could see no more. Overall, said Captain, well, gentlemen, they say he's a trouble putting him in irons. But where there we were without a mate, it was actually the course to advance one of the men. Both vote swing Job Anderson was the likeliest moment aboard. Though he kept his own title, he served in a way as mate. The twenty had set up the sea, his knowledge made him very useful. He often took a watch himself in the easy weather. Cotswain, Isaac Hands, was a careful, wily old experienced seaman, who could be trusted a pinch of it, almost anything. He was great confident Long John Silver, and so to mention his name leads me on to speak of our ship's cook, Barbecue, 
The men called him. Bullshit be carried his crutch by Laywood, yard around his neck, to have both hands free as possible. If somebody did see him wedge a foot of the crutch against a bulkhead and propped against it, yielding to every movement of the ship, get on with his cooking like someone who's safe ashore. The old more strange that he seemed him in the heaviest of water across the deck. He had a line or two rigged up to help him across the widest spaces. Lord Johnny Williams, they called. He would hand himself from one to another, now using the crutch, now trailing alongside by Lunyard, as quickly as another man could walk. Yet some of the men who had sailed with him before expressed their pity to see him so reduced. He's no common man, barbecue, the cop explained to me. He was a good schooling in his younger days. He'd speak like a buck when so minded, and brave, a lion's nothing, alongside those of long strong. I've seen him grab before and knock their heads together. Him unarmed, or crew respected and even obeyed him. He had a way of talking to each other, to each, and they're doing everybody some particular, particular service. To me, he was unwary kind, kind. Always glad to see me in the galley, which he kept as clean as a new pin. He was just hanging up, brownished, the parrot and paid in one cage in one corner. Come away, your kings, he would say. Come and have a yarn with John. Are you more welcome than yourself, my son? Sitting down and hearing the news, here's Captain Flint. Uh, he calls them my parrot, Captain Flint. Of oh, the famous buccaneer, it's Captain Flint. Predicting the success of our voyage. Wasn't that? What is you, Captain? Pilot would say with great rapidity. Peter Leap, Peter Leap, Peter Leap. Till he wondered what it, that he was not out of breath. Oh, until John Friedman could do further the cage. Now that bird, he said, would say, it may be 200 years old, Hawkins. They live forever, mostly. Anyone seen more witness? It must be the devil himself. He sailed with England in a great, in Captain England, the part. Be being a Megastar and Bolivar and Cinnamon and Providence and Pablo. She was at a fishing port of the Rick. Plate ships. Is he she learned pace of the eight? Little wonder three hundred and eight fifty eight thousand of them. Hawkins, she was at a boat in well, in the of India, out of Jogul. She was to look at you. Would you think she was a babby? But you smelt powder, didn't you, Captain? Grand by him out the pirate would scream. Oh, she's an answer craft, she is. The folk would say, Give her sugar from his pocket. When a bird would peck at the bars and swear straight on, passing belief for weakness, there, John would add, you can't touch Pitch and not be mucked, lad. Here's a poor old innocent bird, mighty swearing. Blue fire and one the wiser. It would lay, you may lay on to that. She would swear the name, a man of speaking before chaplain. John would touch his forelock, the sudden way he had that made me think he's the best of men. Meanwhile, the squire and the captain smiled it, while still pretty distant terms with one another. The squire made her bones about the matter. He spies the captain. The captain in his parts never spoke. And when he had spoken too, and sharp and short and dry, not a word wasted, he owned and dri- driven in a corner. He seemed to have been wrong about the crew, but not some of them were as brisk as he wanted to see. But all had been fared fairly well. As for the ship, He'd taken a downright fancy to her. She lay a point nearer the wind than a man had a right to expect of his own married wife, sir. But he would add, All I say is, we're not home again, I not like I don't like the cruise.
Squire was at this. I turned away and marched up and down the deck till chin in the air. I tried for more than that man, he was saying, and I would explode. We, did, we had some heavy weather, which only proved the qualities of Sponia. Every man about seemed well content. They must have been hard to please. They had been otherwise, but it was my belief. There was never a ship company so spoiled since Noah put to sea. Double God was going on. The last excuse. There was a duffel of days. As for instance, the squire held either any man's birthday. Always a barrel of apples standing broached in the waist of anyone to help himself that had a fancy. Never knew, never knew good come, never knew good come of it yet, said the captain was said to Dr. Lindsay. Oh, fool, castaways, make devils, that's my belief. But no, but good did come of the apple barrel, as you should hear for it. Being not been for that, we should not have known to the warning, and might have all, all perished hand treachery. This is how it came about. It run a trade to get wind of the island we are, we are after. I'm not allowed to be more plain. And now we are running down for the bright day out day and night. It's about the last day of our outright wood voyage by a larger confederation. So I'm time for that late, the latest before noon, the morrow, we could sight the treasure island. We were heading south southwest, the steady breeze of bringing a quiet sea, Bunyus rolled steadily, dripping her bowsprit now and then with whiff of spray, or drawing low and loft anyone in their brave spirits because we were near now was near an end, first part of our adventure. Now, just after sunset, when all of my work was over, I was on my way to my berth. It occurred to me I should like an apple. Ran on the deck, I watched was all forward, looking out for the island. Man the helm was watching the laugh of the sail, whistled away gently to himself, as any sound except the swish of the sea against the bows and around the sides of the ship. I got boldly into the apple barrel, found there was a scarce an apple left, but seeing down there in the dark, what was the sound of waters and rocking moment of the ship, I had neither fallen asleep or that was on the point of doing so when a heavy man sat down with rather a close clash by. Barrow shook as he leaned his shoulders against it. He was just about to jump up when the man began to spoke with Silver's voice. For I had heard a dozen words, I would not have shown myself for all the world. I lay there trembling, listening to extreme fear. Curiously, for those dozen words I understood, the lives of all the honest men aboard depended on them, upon me alone.